0: Legal disputes over incidents of ACH and wire fraud between banking institutions and their commercial customers continue to garner attention, and recent decisions handed down by the courts offer differing perspectives, proving the nuances of obligations as they relate to fraud detection and prevention can oftentimes sway a decision. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group, and I'm here today with cybersecurity expert Joseph Burton managing partner for the San Francisco office of the law firm Dwayne Morris, who sheds light on the recent decision handed down by a district court in the Choice Escrow versus Bancorp South, a decision that favored the bank. Joe, this decision is one that caught your attention. The case involves a legal dispute over an account takeover incident dating back to March 2010 when $440,000 was drained through fraudulent wire transfers from Choice Escrow's account with Bankcorp South. In this case, the magistrate judge's summary judgment favored the bank. Why?
1: I really love this case. In some ways, I think the case maybe gets overlooked. I mean, I think it's just chock full of information that I think can be helpful in sort of analyzing this area and maybe predicting where things may go. The judge found in favor of the bank, this was the case in which the bank did everything right. This was the case in which the bank looked first at the question of the commercial reasonableness of the procedure that was offered and determined that it was commercially reasonable. Second, the magistrate judge looked at the bank's conduct in accepting the order and found that the bank did so appropriately, that is, that the bank acted in good faith. And for those uh, reasons, it found in favor of the bank. Now, previously, you had the two most important decisions. The uh, experimental decision was a decision in which the court found that the procedure offered wasn't commercially reasonable, and in that case, found against the bank. And in the most probably prominent decision, which was the PACO decision, Mm -hmm. the court found that the bank's conduct was not in good faith, and for that reason it found against the bank. But in this case, in the choice escrow case, um, the court found in the bank's favor on both of those issues, uh, and that's what resulted in this win, if you can call anything in this area a win.
0: Now, you and I have spoken about this case before, and during those discussions, you've noted that this is the first case to address three of the primary issues that oftentimes come up in ACH and wire fraud cases. And those three areas include commercial reasonableness, good faith, and customer responsibility when fraud losses occur. Now, you've noted the PATCO and the experimental cases. Why would you say that the choice escrow case and the magistrate judge's decision here is so noteworthy?
1: Well, one, because it does consider, and it was necessary as part of the analysis in the case, to analyze those three aspects. And the court sets out pretty clearly that those are the three principal prongs or pillars of analysis in this area, and it proceeds to do an analysis of all three but also what I think is sometimes forgotten in this area is that shifting of responsibility under the Uniform Commercial Code. And that's important to bear in mind. That is, as the analysis proceeds, the responsibility for an order may shift. The bank can shift, if you will, responsibility to the customer if it follows certain guidelines, and those relate to the commercial reasonableness of the procedure that they offer. But at the end of the day, it's potential that the responsibility could shift back to the bank if the customer is able to make a certain showings with respect to how the attack or the break-in was caused. And I think that's sometimes forgotten that this shifting occurs, and this case really makes that clear. Another thing about it that I think is noteworthy is that this is the first case in which a court had to analyze a circumstance in which a security procedure was turned down by the customer. Now, the, the Uniform Commercial Code talks about that, but this is the first instance in which you had an actual turndown of a procedure, and the court was then forced to analyze whether that turndown was proper. I think those two things, and particularly the latter, make this a really a noteworthy case and different from all the cases that have preceded it.
0: So, Joe, when we look back over time at the cases involving ACH and wire fraud or those cases involving what we call account takeover, How do you see the court's views evolving?
1: Well, I think what you see is really a progression from first looking at commercial reasonableness and a determination of whether certain security procedures are commercially reasonable, Then moving to assuming the procedure is reasonable, what happens if the bank acts in a way that, in effect, vitiates that commercially reasonable procedure? That's what happened in the PACO case. And again, in both those cases, it was found against the bank. And this is a case in which the court stepped through both of those, found that the bank acted properly, and then was prepared to analyze really the third question, which is whether or not there was a relationship to the customer's transmission facility, his commuters, or not. But in this case, the customer never made an argument that would have potentially shifted responsibility back to the bank under that third prong. And that third prong is still left open. It was left open by Patco and it's left open here. I think there are differences between the Patco facts and here with respect to that prong, but it clearly shows that from the analytical standpoint, we know what this area looks like. And what's left from a legal standpoint is to analyze this question of under what circumstances will the customer be held liable or in what circumstances can the customer shift the responsibility back. That is from a legal standpoint an area that has not been fully explored by any of the cases there. And I think that we will eventually get to a case which will be able to address that head on.
0: Joe, do you anticipate an appeal in this case?
1: Difficult to know because even though there's significant amount of money at stake, four hundred and forty thousand dollars again, given the cost of litigation. I think that there is a lot of pressure to settle these matters. And if you look at the PACO case, even though it went on appeal and then it was sent back to the court below, it eventually settled. So I think there's significant pressure on the parties in a case like this to settle. So I think it's difficult to predict an appeal. Certainly there is, a, in effect, an automatic appeal from the magistrate judge to the district court. So the district court will have an opportunity to review the magistrate findings and make a ruling. And that's an appeal in one sense, but an appeal from a district court level to an appellate level, such as in the PATCO case, I think that's difficult to predict.
0: Now, you've also noted that in some ways, Choice Escrow perhaps dropped the ball from a legal perspective and did not argue its case well, at least when it comes to the fact that it decided not to take some of these precautions or use some of these tools that the bank was providing. What do you think Choice Escrow could have done differently here?
1: I'm not sure that Choice Escrow would have been able to make a persuasive argument as to the third prong. That is an argument that the account takeover was not the result of information that was gained from its computers. Uh, The magistrate judge discusses the fact that there was evidence in the record to indicate that the choice escrow computers were hacked into. And I think that's probably the reason that they chose not to try to make an argument under the uh, third analytical prong. We don't know that, but I would suspect that that's a a strong reason. And I would suspect that the evidence that their computers had been hacked into was probably very strong. It's difficult to call that a mistake. I, I would say the mistake, if there was any mistake that they made was really not so much a legal one but one of practice and that relates to this question of the turn down of the initial security procedures that were offered by the bank. The so-called dual control method and that was offered by the bank initially and it was turned down by choice escrow. And at least from the opinion, it appears that the reason they turned it down was one of essentially convenience, that it was inconvenient for them to have the two people necessary to effectuate that control on premises or available at the same time. And they certainly argued that to the court in the case. And the court found that clearly under the UCC and under some other cases, inconvenience is not a sufficient reason to turn down, or more specifically, that inconvenience does not amount to commercial unreasonableness. You can't argue that a procedure is commercially unreasonable because you'd like a, a different procedure because it's more convenient, or in fact, you'd like a better procedure. It would look like that had choice escrow. Use the dual control procedure. The unauthorized transfer could have been prevented.
0: And then going back to the legal arguments in this case, Joe, what would you say the bank did right in this case? And what do you anticipate its argument to be, should this ruling be appealed?
1: I think an appeal, at least on the record is going to be difficult for choice escrow. The court found, the bank did everything right in this case, the court found that they offered a commercially reasonable procedure in the first instance and so the experimental problem was solved. And then secondly, and I I think the problem that's more likely to come up is the problem in the PACO case where there's a uh, ostensibly or facially valid commercially reasonable procedure But its implementation, which leads to the acceptance of the order, is not in good faith. Um, And in this case, the bank didn't commit the sorts of errors that occurred in the PACO case. They were able to craft and utilize their already commercially reasonable procedure to apply it properly. That second aspect is really critical. I mean, the one thing that I think we learned from PACO is that there's more to commercial reasonableness than just having a procedure which, in theory – or on its face is commercially reasonable. It has to be crafted and tailored to a degree to the customer. It has to fit the customer. And the bank's actions in implementing that procedure have to be commercially reasonable. The bank did both of those important things correctly, and particularly the second.
0: Joe, are there any final thoughts about this particular case that stand out, or any areas that you think are worth noting going forward?
1: hopefully now a focus on the customer that we uh, haven't had as much. We went through sort of a period of analyzing, was the bank doing it right? What did the bank do right? Or what did the bank do wrong? And I, I think that's important. But I think that we have seen that, you know, the banks certainly are capable of getting it right. I think banks will... Get it right. They have in the past and they'll continue to do so. And they'll get, particularly after Paco, they'll get better about getting their procedures right. Um, and given that, what that does is it really focuses on the customer because if As in this case, the liability for the loss is going to rest on the customer. And what that means is, as an industry, we have to decide what sort of things can we do to help out the customers. Customers are going to have to realize that they're more likely that liability is going to rest with them. And they've got to be figuring out what can be done technically to avoid, if you will, that liability, to avoid some of these problems in the first instance, which also raises a question of what responsibility do banks have to assist their customers in that regard? The FFIEC stresses the importance of training and other measures that the bank can take with respect to their customer. And I think these cases sort of push everyone toward looking at the customer, and and that's where the effort has to be focused to sort of make this whole transactional chain free of fraud.
0: Joe, I'd like to thank you again for your time this afternoon.
1: Thank you for uh, having me.
0: Again, we've just heard from Joseph Burton of Dwayne Morris. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.